Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans. 20,000. 250. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Definitely scarier than I thought it was going to be. Ray. All right, let's do this. Okay. Oh boy, I don't want to do this. All right. Um, I am outside of a graveyard in East Texas. Uh, I'm scared. I'm scared less. And uh, I think anybody in their right mind who is outside a graveyard in East Texas would be scared. I am particularly scared because I have a very deep and very real fear of zombies. I am sitting in my car. Okay, I'll get out of the car. Do I keep the keys in? Yeah, I keep the keys in the ignition in case I need to make a, a fast move. Okay. I am standing outside of a cemetery, middle of the country, the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a dark and stormy night. That's not a cliche. It is actually a dark and stormy night. There is lightning and thunder. Jesus, I cannot believe there's actually a thunderstorm tonight. Oh, okay. Um, sounds stupid. I have a fear of zombies. When I was nine years old, my brother rented the movie Return of the Living Dead, which if you've ever seen that movie, <laughs> the very first thing it says is this movie is based on a true story. 
Obviously, that's not really true, but my nine-year-old self did not know that. So, I had nightmares about zombies throughout my childhood. I couldn't watch Michael Jackson's Thriller. I had to hide behind the couch. And to this day, if I have a nightmare, it's a zombie nightmare. I'll be talking with somebody and suddenly their skin will start to decay and turn gray and I'll realize I'm, I'm stuck in a zombie nightmare. I, I realize the ridiculousness of that on one level, but on another level, it's, it's a childhood trauma. It's in there. So it's a deep fear. And one of the reasons I came to the cemetery is that I want to confront my fear. Because I have another end of the world story that I deal with a lot. And that one, <laughs> that one's about climate change. That one's about carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and ecological and environmental catastrophe. You know, it's an apocalyptic story too. So one of the things I want to do here is try and disentangle, try and make sense between fears that are real and fears that are imagined. But if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need some help. Well, do you want to talk about your personal trauma? Do you want to talk about the ways that the zombie can be both personal and universal? Because I, th I think it'd be interesting for me to hear about your personal relationship with the zombie. See, that is the thing about the universe. When you are ready to confront your fear, when you're ready to become vulnerable and ask for help, the perfect person shows up. I'm Sarah Juliet Loro, and I'm an assistant professor of hemispheric literature at the University of Tampa, and I've published three books about zombies. Sarah is one of the preeminent zombie experts. She's had good timing. She got interested in the subject in the mid-2000s, right when there was a kind of renewed wave of pop culture interest. More zombie movies were coming out. There was, Jesus Christ, that's a dog. Oh God, okay, I'm getting in my car. Okay, I'm in my car now. That dog is too scary. I mean, it's one thing to confront your fear, it's another thing to confront a dog that's gonna eat your But I'm still at the cemetery, I'm not leaving yet. I'm gonna get this, this is, <laughs> this is Generation Anthropocene, damn it. Whew, all right. Sarah, Sarah Laro, is a preeminent zombie expert. Now, now, it's okay if you're not a zombie movie fan. Maybe you're sick of the whole thing, but you have to admit, they're popular. There's something about this monster, this ghoul, that has real staying power. Now, have you ever asked yourself, why? What is it about zombies that people are so into? It's a good question, right? What fears do they symbolize? What fears do they represent? If you look closely, horror stories have a way of telling us about fears deep inside ourselves and our society. They represent our anxieties. Now, I want to give you a massive heads up here. In this conversation with Sarah, I put a lot on the table. We talk about the origins of zombie mythology, climate change, and coronavirus. I mean, we go a lot of different places. And I think more than anything, it's a lot of just food for thought. So. I don't want to promise that this episode is going to tie up in a nice bow or anything like that. But I will say this. I came away from this conversation with Sarah a little less afraid. I'm glad that she and I took the time to take apart some of the stories we tell ourselves about the end of the world, whether those stories are real or imagined. Now, to kick this off, before I get into the environmental stuff, I wanted to understand a little bit more about the history of zombies sort of generally. So I started the conversation by asking Sarah about George Romero. 
for people who don't know much about zombie movies or zombies in general, who was George Romero and what is his significance in the history of zombie movies? So I actually, uh, in my book, The Transatlantic Zombie, I compared George Romero to Christopher Columbus um, because he is considered by many to be kind of the father of the modern zombie. But actually, most people know that there was a long body of zombies in film before that. And then my research traces the whole history of the zombie back to Africa. So actually, it was already a, a very powerful cinematic monster. Uh, but then when George Romero made Night of the Living Dead in 1969, he brought together some key ingredients of sort of monster movies, monster mythology that really gave us the kind of contagious cannibal living dead that we think of today when we think of the zombie. He sort of crystallized this idea that we have of the zombie, which is that it is risen from the dead. It has sort of like lost consciousness. It's almost sort of like a machine on autopilot in that it might not be able to recognize people that it knew. It only has this one drive, and this is a drive to consume human flesh. And by its bite, it transmits its state so that other people who are bitten by a zombie will become a zombie. I would say those are the main ingredients that we get um, in the, the rebirth of the zombie mythos as it was brought in by Romero in 1969. So let's take each of those characteristics sort of uh, piecemeal, because I think there's a lot of ideas and symbolism in each one. If, if you're teaching this in a class, what does cannibalism represent as an idea? What are some of the sort of interpretations of that particular characteristic? Well, this is why you can't really just start studying the zombie with Romero, because that idea doesn't just come out of nowhere. And before Romero's zombie, we had the zombie came out of Haitian folklore, a Haitian folklore mythology that's deeply about the enslavement of the Haitian people and their battle for freedom. And it's also deeply about the kind of demonization of native peoples or African peoples um, as cannibals. So when that thread shows up in the Romero oeuvre, I don't think that it's just kind of coming out of nowhere. It really has a longer heritage of demonizing people by saying that they're savage and um, oftentimes, you know, making up accusations of cannibalism. I mean, there's also something about, you know, what it means to be consumed. Right. That, like, there's something sacred about our bodies, and when it gets eaten, it's almost like something is being captured, enslaved, I don't know, somehow taken in by somebody else in a way that's very disempowering. Right. I think that that's absolutely true. I think that um, what Romero makes obvious as a kind of metaphor for capitalism, especially in his second film, Dawn of the Dead, which was 10 years after Night of the Living Dead in 1978, when you have zombies taking over a shopping mall. And so there you have the flesh-eating zombie kind of come together in this idea of certain beings who would effectively consume the labor of or the actual bodies of other human beings. Well, okay, let's take another characteristic. Um, let's not talk about COVID yet because we're going to get to it. But let's take the characteristic of zombies as being contagious. Talk to me a little bit about how, you know, literary critics kind of read plague narratives. Like, what do they mean historically? Well, I mean, there's a longstanding association of plagues with kind of biblical retribution of associating you know, God's divine punishment 
taking the form of a plague or pestilence. So that is uh, one aspect of it. Another that I think, you know, as you were, we've been talking about colonialism and enslavement and the connection that the zombie has to all of those narratives. And I don't think you can take plague out of that either, because there was such a, a transmission of different diseases across the world beginning with the transatlantic slave trade and, and, you know, even earlier, the transmission of yellow fever, smallpox to native peoples. And so I think that that too, this idea of something foreign coming from outside and taking over is, is also sort of an extended image of colonialism and that conquest. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny. You kind of like, as these things become the ingredients for Romero zombie, it, it doesn't feel so coincidental that these characteristics wind up being all part of one monster. Um, I want to talk about two more characteristics uh, briefly. So, I mean, you mentioned this a minute ago, the kind of dehumanization. That seems to go along with this character trait of mindlessness and sort of driven by singular instinct. Right. How do we think about that one? What is, you know, what, is, what does that represent in terms of the, the zombie as a symbol? This is a really good way of kind of tracing with a broad brush the way that the zombie myth was taken up in Hollywood. So the zombie myth, as I said earlier, comes to us from Haitian folklore, where it's deeply about the people's enslavement. And so there you can think of like the dehumanization of the enslaved person who was effectively robbed of their identity and just treated as little more than a beast of burden. The first real wave of interest in a Hollywood zombie is in the 1930s. And that was well before Romero zombie and zombies looked very, very different. They weren't contagious. They weren't cannibals. But what they were was effectively still this kind of dehumanized, vacant slave. And many people have argued that the reason there was such an interest in this, this first wave of zombies in the 1930s was because of the Great Depression, that people really were feeling disempowered by capitalism and the way it had let them down in the Great Depression um, and and felt that it really resonated with their own situation. You know, it's interesting how that one kind of flips, how in the early iteration, the idea of kind of dehumanization and mindlessness is something to be pitied. It's the victim. And then that does seem like a real pivot point with Romero that that trait becomes something scary, that that there's an instinct driving it that, you know, you we don't know what that's all about, but we can't seem to stop it or control it or regulate it. Absolutely. I think it, I mean, I do think it sort of shows two different modes of, of capitalist concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being sort of not appreciating the worker, not considering the worker Um, as human, not giving a worker a share of the profits. And the second one being kind of this accelerated age of capitalism where we have this need to constantly propel ourselves forward with consumption. So we, we, we effectively have created this system whereby we have to have an eternal hunger. We have to keep wanting to consume or else our economy doesn't function. Okay. Last character trait I want to talk about, um, the idea of living dead. That of resurrected corpses. I mean, there, there's something about that that seems to get at, I don't know, anxieties about boundaries between life and death. How do people in, in your world kind of read the idea of a resurrected corpse as, as representing something? Well, I mean, this is obviously a trans-historical 
concern. And as long as people have been really reflecting on their their existential state, they've been pondering death and wondering whether there might be something beyond it or, or whether we people could return from death. I think in sort of a soundbite form, the way to answer this question is that almost every year I, I get into some sort of Twitter battle because people will say on Easter, happy zombie Jesus day. And I feel the need to point out to them that Jesus was in no way a zombie. There's a complete difference between resurrection or a being who is returned, returned and in themselves versus the dehumanized, vacant, absent living corpse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You combine all these things, cannibalism, contagion, um, the idea of uh, robotic, mindless behavior, singular instinct, and you've got just this incredible package of characteristics with which there's a lot of different interpretations and there's a lot of ways in which people can map their fears about fill in the blank. I mean, it's a really useful monster that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that Romero's film was sort of the, it was the crystallization of a lot of things that were in the ether, because I think it's it's this perfect, spooky mirror. I mean, you can look into it, and you can either just contemplate the human experience that's so universal, which is that we are all going to die, or you can look into it and see your own historical moment. It is, it's kind of hard to talk about zombies in broad strokes because they can be so different. And yet, I would say that the thing that they all have in common is this critique of power, this idea of some humans no longer being quite human. And that I think that that's always bound up with a kind of legacy of mistreatment of human beings by other human beings. And that as a fundamental sin against humanity and a sin against nature. I think that dog is really pissed off at me. Whew. So I hope at this point, maybe you can see why the zombie myth is so popular. There's a lot of ideas packed into this myth. Now, I said at the top of the show that two of my biggest fears are zombies and climate change. Now, my rational self knows that only one of those end-of-the-world stories has any merit. But there's another part of me that cannot shake the fear of the living dead. And... As I've been working on this episode, I've had three different zombie nightmares already. I know this is weird. Maybe these two fears are kind of linked up somehow, coupled, bound up together. Hear me out. Maybe there's a way in which zombie mythology expresses or represents some of my anxiety about environmental catastrophe. And maybe I'm not alone. Maybe one of the reasons zombies have become so popular is because they're the manifestation of a deeper, bigger fear that we all have about what's happening to the Earth. And this is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to Sarah. Back in 2011, she wrote an article on the eco-zombie. Now, a quick clarification on that. The eco-zombie isn't like a mossy, green organic zombie or anything like that. This is a category of analysis and interpretation. Her essay draws on the sort of literary tradition of eco-criticism, which is all about how to look at the human-nature relationship as it's treated in literary texts. So again, Sarah wrote this article in 2011, and she introduced the idea of the eco-zombie, and I asked her to lay out some of the ideas that she was wrestling with in that article. For me, the eco-zombie is almost always very much tied up 
with the zombie's origin story. So often what's the most fascinating aspect of any zombie film is the reason the narrative gives of why this has started happening. And in fact, I think zombies are more interesting when it is obvious that they they have this, this tension between was it nature, was it man-made? What I am fascinated by, the thing that keeps... Um, you know, sort of itching in my brain. It's this battle between man's desire to control nature, to improve the world for ourselves, and that moment where we just, you know, we step over the line and now we've unleashed something terrible. And I think that that speaks deeply to your interest in the Anthropocene. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. That is the that is what, to me, makes this an Anthropocene question. Yeah. That embedded in the idea of the Anthropocene, of humanity writ large as a geologic force, is a kind of a question of the limits and extent of humankind's power. That if you put humanity on par with geologic forces, you know, is that appropriate or not? Right. And I think that, uh, I, th I think that, you know, not knowing what kind of forces we may be tampering with, but also acknowledging the unbelievable power of humanity is kind of present in the zombie narrative too. That's like what makes this an Anthropocene thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, so, you know, let's look at it from a couple angles because, I mean, there is a history of plague narrative sort of being tied with the idea of a vengeful god. Yep. And I do think that some people read the zombie story as like, that's what it's about. Right. You know, God's getting back at humanity for having violated some sacred terms or something. I mean, was that line in Dawn of the Dead when there's no more when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I would say, though, that like for me, the part of the zombie's interest is, I mean, leaving aside the voodoo cosmology and really talking just about the way it's been taken up into Hollywood, you see the zombie becoming more and more a secular monster. So what we have in the zombie is this a kind of replacement of it's not God's wrath, but it's kind of this amorphous nature's wrath. It's nature biting back. It's nature fighting back against the way that humanity has wrought these ills. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, the other thing that makes this also an Anthropocene discussion for me is the idea that, you know, the zombie genre has become incredibly popular. I mean, you've seen that over the course of your career. Yeah. At the same time that there are deeper and bigger anxieties about what climate change is going to mean in particular, but also, you know, environmental catastrophe writ large. They're both stories about the end of the world. And I sometimes wonder if the zombie narrative isn't doing an effective job of capturing environmental anxieties. And that's that's sort of some of those ideas are really present in your 2011 article. Yeah, I think that I, I mean, I, in, in making up that term, I wanted to sort of signal to two things. One was sort of like ecological concern, concern for the environment. But then the other was this concept of ecophobia, which is really a sense of the fear of nature. So in the eco zombie, I really wanted to point to the ways that in this subset, the zombie almost becomes this arm of nature. It's, all, it's another tool in its arsenal for striking back at humanity, which obviously seems rather hilarious since there could be nothing that's less natural by our own definitions than the dead rising. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it seems to me that 
the argument here is that one of the reasons this myth is so resonant has to do with our anxieties about environmental catastrophe, climate change chief among them, but all the other cascading risks that come with over-exploitation of natural resources. So, so that one of the things we see when we see, you know, a mindless zombie coming to attack us is, uh, is, is, is nature striking back. And, and, and the zombie as a kind of apex predator, you know, where humans are no longer necessarily top of the food chain and we're actually being devoured. Yeah, well, the reason I'm working on this is because I don't think that it has been as fully mined as other areas of the zombie as a kind of signifier. I don't think that there's many uh, audiences right now that would watch a zombie movie and go, oh, that zombie that's after me is definitely part of the environment. But in fact, I think that's what makes this interesting to talk about. I mean, the zombie is actually coming out of the ground in almost every zombie movie. We see them actually rising from their graves. So to think of the zombie as a kind of surrogate or extension for the earth, I don't think that that's too far afield. Well, you know, in my mind, it doesn't necessarily need to be the storyteller's intention for an idea to resonate. Like right. we are free as, uh, as, as viewers and as readers or whatever to find our own meaning in, in somebody else's story, regardless of their intention. Okay, um, so a couple times throughout the conversation, we've talked a little bit about COVID-19. You're in a unique position to offer some insight about the stories that people are telling themselves about what's happening right now. Because there's this like weird thing right now where we where they almost feel realistic. And right now it's it feels like we're just a little bit closer to actually living in a zombie movie. Um, right. Do, do you see ways in which we're kind of living in a zombie movie right now? Yeah, absolutely. I completely do. I mean, one is because we are all sort of cloistered in our houses and so, so many zombie movies really traffic in a kind of claustrophobia where you have survivors either hunkered down on, you know, in in a small farmhouse, like (laughs) we could just do Romero's films just as examples, either hunkered down in a farmhouse, hunkered down in a shopping mall, hunkered down on an army base. So I think one aspect is definitely this idea that we all feel trapped. But the other thing that makes it, uh, I think, especially poignant and scary is that the virus isn't something that we can really comprehend. I mean, it's it's microscopic and it it doesn't like the workings of a virus are very mysterious and confusing to most people. But this is something that is passed on to humans by contact with other humans. So I think that they're the contagious aspect of the zombie who bites you and then spreads its living dead state really feels very relevant today when we are essentially afraid of other people. And so I just think that a kind of fear of other people, because they are the vectors transmitting the disease, is something that is is really just so apparent in the zombie mythos. And it's something that we're really feeling today. You know, you could go a step further with that, too, because it's not just other people writ large. I mean, it is that. It is the sort of stranger's person on the street who we now have a little bit more fear of. But it's also our fear about how much to trust the institutions of power, whether that's government or science or local government or commerce or whatever. I, I think that that the fear of, you know, how are we going to rely on each other and survive? COVID has really brought some of those anxieties right to the fore um, because we're, because the situation's desperate. That's almost too scary to think about. I mean, 
I remember when this first, uh, when it was first looking terrible and Cuomo was on his daily news briefings and he was saying, you know, we're, we're going to, all of our hospitals are going to be maxed out. And there were images coming from Italy of people just dying on gurneys in a hallway. And it looked like we were, uh, this was going to be really, really bad. I think my daughter said to me, well, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to know if this is really, really awful? And I'm not sure if I actually answered her, probably smartly deflected the question. But what I was thinking was, I was drawing on my experience of watching so many zombie movies. And the answer for me was, when the news goes off the air, that's when it's really game over. When they stop, when they stop holding press briefings and uh, you know newscasts, and they're all just seeing to themselves, um, that's when it's really bad. I mean, what would really be fascinating is if they, they would make a zombie movie now where the news continues, but it's every it, news anchors are just in their own houses. So, so you didn't turn to your daughter and say, "When there's no more room in I, hell, the dead will." <laughs> no, I should have. But you know, then she'll be coming and crawling in bed with me in the middle of the night if I. So. Yeah, no, probably probably good parenting to yeah. to bite your tongue on that. But but that that's so like when there's no more news, it's so uh, boy, that's on the nose. I mean, I think that I think that part of the reason for asking the question, part of the reason for this entire discussion, is to disentangle fears that are real versus fears that are imagined. The zombie story is interesting in in the way it has lasting resonance and and yet it's so absurd in its uh, premises right. that you know the idea that we're actually going to have a zombie bag, well no, but there there's still something vaguely realistic about this idea. Um, and and with COVID it feels just a shade more realistic. I know. I mean, I think I think that what's horrifying about the zombie is that it's actually not a myth. It's actually not um, that preposterous. And what I mean by that is that really when I, when I say that, I'm talking sort of about first wave zombies more so, as in the Haitian zombie folklore, that somebody could enchant a person and make them effectively a slave. Well, that happened, right? That's slavery. Um, the idea that somebody could have such a thirst for flesh that they would eat someone else. Well, in a way, that's what capitalism does. The people making the profit are effectively eating up the, the labor of the other people. So that we can lose our values to such a degree that we turn on each other and that we uh, just put our own personal survival ahead of every, everything else that's sacred. Well, Unfortunately, sometimes it looks like that is happening. So yeah, I think the worst parts of zombie movies, yes, they haven't literally happened, but the metaphors sometimes feel quite thin and you can see through them to see the way that they reflect our own world back to us. And it's a scary, scary image. Okay, let's set zombies aside for just a second. And let me offer some more comparisons that I see between covid and climate change, which uh, has just sort of been on my mind, and I'm kind of brainstorming here. I just want to offer some thoughts and and kind of see if you have a reaction to it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so some of the similarities I see. Okay, first of all, it's an invisible threat. You know that we can't smell it, we can't see it. Um, you know, we can see the symptoms of it, but it's it's sort of out there happening, uh, and it's hidden from view. It is also global. It has no boundaries. It has no borders. I think another similarity I see between COVID and climate change is that 
we have to trust the scientists. The scientists are operating in an environment of some uncertainty, and that uncertainty creates real anxiety and real division. Right. And then finally, there's a kind of timescale issue in terms of lag between where the crisis is happening and when it shows up on your doorstep. What do you think of some of those ideas? Do you see where I'm coming from in terms of like, boy, there's some odd parallels between COVID and climate change? Well, especially in the the mistrust of science. I mean, one thing that I keep sort of asking myself, I can understand the climate change deniers because there's whole industries like the fossil fuel industry that are really dependent upon us existing in a state of denial and ignoring what is happening. But I don't really see the long game in denying that a virus is here and denying our our own capabilities in terms of defeating it. But it's true that now the misinformation is so pervasive that I think we have an enormous sense of distrust. So, I mean, it's uh, I think it's dire and it's terrifying. But what we really have to do is treat this current moment as a kind of test run for how we're going to uh, start battling climate change when we've set this pandemic aside and can turn to the next global catastrophe, which is climate change. And hopefully we'll learn some things, specifically, I think, about how to control information and misinformation and how not to let ideology divide us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was this, that actually is an answer to the question I was going to ask. You know, if we put all of this together, zombie stories, COVID-19 and the Anthropocene, uh, what 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 lessons can we draw from it? I think they're the same. They're the same story. Hmm. And I think that that's what the zombie allows us to do. So, I mean, you could tell me more about this than I know, but like geologic time, right? And like the Anthropocene, all of this is happening, but it's happening too slowly for us to really feel as terrified of it as we need to be. And I think that what the zombie is, is like a, it's like a time-lapse vision of what we're doing anyway, right? Like maybe it's not that the dead are going to physically come back to life, but it is in effect that what we have done now is made all of ourselves the walking dead because we are becoming extinct. We have done this to ourselves, much like uh, you know all, every zombie movie that I think is really worth anything, where it's sort of um, it's something that humans have brought upon themselves. It's something that they could have avoided, and I think that's where COVID is actually offering us this nice little middle ground. In this little moment of COVID, I think we have this opportunity to see what it would really take if we could all recognize a disaster unfolding in real time and act accordingly. I don't know that we're going to rise to the challenge, but I think that that's sort of, for me, what the zombie has always been about is this kind of dress rehearsal for catastrophe, if you can be smart enough to recognize it for what it is. Yeah, that's, for me, I completely agree that one of the core challenges with climate change is how do you make it real? How do you shrink the timescales and tell the story so that um, we feel it on an emotional level where we see how it, it, it affects not just the life support systems of the planet, but our day-to-day behavior? Right. Because the, the disconnect between how we experience time and the timescales with which this catastrophe is unfolding, like that is the core problem. So we need a good story. Yeah to help bring that to life. And if that, maybe it's a literal story, 
But what I love about the zombie narrative is, you know, it's kind of better as a as a symbolic one. And the whole reason I do this show in a way is because I'm I'm groping around for a better way of presenting this in story form, because I think we're hardwired for a good story. Right. Um, and one of the reasons I have such an obsession with zombies is because they're, they're good stories, at least to me. I think that they make a great story. I love zombie movies. Well, that's what's, what's interesting about it is I think the zombie has always been a mirror for the present. I think that zombies really reflect the abuses that we are perpetrating right now. And whether that right now was, you know, 19th century slavery, whether that right now was uh, depression era abuses of the worker, whether that uh, right now was, you know, sort of like the oil crisis in the 70s. I think all in all of these different moments, the zombie is a monster for now. But I think, I think we need to find a way to kind of collapse the ways that we tell stories about the present and the ways that we tell stories about the future through things like science fiction and horror and make people realize that our present day, like that the future is not so far away and that basically we've now arrived in that horrible aftertime that for so many decades we were just imagining in science fiction, that actually this is our now. Yeah. No, that, 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 that there is an explicit confrontation of fear is important to me. Right. I think as people, we just forget how much we're driven by fear, right. you know? I mean, it is this base instinct that's motivating the vast majority of our behavior. And so by turning and confronting it, both in terms of metaphors and in terms of, you know, what's literal, you're able to overcome, move through, contextualize, you know, handle it uh, in whatever way. Um, well, so I think that there's a lot of hope in zombie narratives and in terms of uh, everything we've talked about. One thing gives me tremendous pause. These movies usually don't end very well. Like there's never, <laughs> there's never a cure, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and that, uh, that kind of leaves me with a feeling of dread. Uh, but maybe, maybe it's just a movie. Well, no, I, th- I mean, I think they're meant to be kind of cautionary tales. Yeah. And so, I mean, the point is for us to look at the characters, figure out what their flaw was, and then um, recognize that in ourselves when we find ourselves committing it and avoid it. So if we're thinking about the zombie as a kind of a tragic figure, yeah, um, the characters get overrun in zombie films for a variety of reasons, but usually at bottom, there is a human misstep that leads to the creation of zombies in the first place. And what were they doing that led to this misstep? Well, you know, it could be ambition. It could be just wanting to conquer that final frontier between the living and the dead. Or it often in this, you know, field that I'm calling the eco-zombie, it specifically is linked to someone's desire for profits, which is uh, the reason it speaks so so directly to ecological fears and concerns. So, yeah, I don't think that they can have a happy ending. But what I do think, you were talking about fear a moment ago. And I think that there's a weird way in which fear can be our friend. What's getting us into a situation that's completely untenable for the planet is actually not the base instinct of fear, but the base instinct of greed. And if actually we can channel a good kind of fear, a fear that we are actually rendering ourselves extinct and destroying this planet into a kind of action, then I think actually we can use fear to surmount the greed of a certain segment of population, and then we'll be able to bring about real change. Yeah, the word that leaps to mind for me is humility. Yeah. Um, I have never had so much fun preparing for an interview. So uh, this was a blast. Thank you for making time for it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to be mulling it over for a long while. 
That's it for this episode of Generation Anthropocene. Thank you to Leslie Chang, Carl York, and Allison Wilson for all your behind-the-scenes help. Thanks also to Jackson Roach, who inspired this episode. And especially thanks to Sarah. She's awesome. I highly recommend you take a look at her work. Hope to see you next time, assuming there's not a zombie apocalypse.